Okay, so we're going to spend some time. You probably noticed that I'm sitting down, and you probably also noticed that I have nine pages of material, and that's why I'm sitting down, because I'm <laughs> not really, I'm not going to try and just preach at you today. We're going to teach a little bit. How many of you are happy that you made it through Invincible Me? So even though, even though Pastor Ian uh, is going to preach, is going to teach quite a bit tonight, we're invincible. So we uh, don't have to worry about getting uh, bored. What I want to do is, um, I kind of started a little bit last week in talking about our relationship to the Old Testament. And I want to continue a little bit of that because, and I'm going to caution you, uh, you've probably heard a lot of things in modern church culture uh, that you're going to think, wait a minute, I don't agree with that. And so that's why I've got nine pages, because most of what I'm going to say tonight, I'm not the guy who said it. I'm just going to read you what the Bible says so that we can try and understand a little bit about uh, the nature of God and how these things apply to us. Because if you have a paper Bible, how many have a paper Bible? Hold up your paper Bible for a moment. I want you to grab onto the Matthew to Revelation. Just grab onto all those pages. And you'll notice that Matthew to Revelation is about one-third of the pages of your Bible. What that means is that in, in our New Testament way of doing things, and this may not affect you, but I'm going somewhere and I'm, I'm, I'm wanting us to lay hold of a whole other section of what God says in a little bit of a different way as we move forward. And so you'll notice that the Old Testament section of your Bible is actually thicker than the New Testament section of your Bible. And so there's a lot of material that although we think it's great, although it's kind of, yep, that's, we carry it in our Bible, so we know that there's something good about it. Um, but I can remember people, you know, maybe it was 10 years ago or so, I would get connected with by people who would tell me that, because you know I'm very focused on Jesus, I think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread, Any, anybody agree with me in this place? How many of you know the black letters and the red letters are both written by God, but I love the red letters more than the black letters? And I think that's okay, right? Because I love them all, but I love these guys more because you know, I know who said them. And I know the nature of the person who said them. And so I know they all came from God. I get that. But I really focus on that. I remember because we, we, we spent a lot of time with what Jesus said. I think the answer to the New Testament isn't in the New Testament because it, the New Testament, as we know it, uh, Acts to Revelations, uh, Revelation wasn't written until after the revival had happened. So how many of you are smart enough to realize that we, they didn't have that stuff to get the revival, so we don't need that stuff to get that revival again. But we're happy we have it. It's certainly going to give us some guidance. It's going to be there for us. But the actual rockets that set off the New Testament revival in the book of Acts wasn't the book of Acts. It was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It was what Jesus said. Anyhow, I'm, that wasn't my point. My point is, is that I, often people have said to me, well, you know, you don't want to, you're talking about the law. And so it's written in Malachi backwards, so that's really nothing to do with us anymore. I've even had people tell me that technically Jesus lived in the Old Testament for most of his life. I guess most of, it's very confusing talking about these matters when you're talking about Jesus, but most of Jesus's ministry here, teaching ministry on the earth was in the Old Testament, pre-cross, Right. So they, they've told me, they've argued with me that, and said, well, in fact, we don't even pay attention to what Jesus says anymore. We are now more interested in what Paul said. 
And I'm not against what Paul says. I love what Paul's writings, you know, he's very intellectual and he's got, you know, sentences that go on for paragraphs. I love that, but that's not the root. The root, the way the Bible works is the Old Testament comes up to Jesus, right? How many of you have read the book of John at least once? How many got through chapter one of the book of John at least once? Any takers in the room? All right, so that's, the book of John tells us that the Old Testament became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you know who that was? Jesus. So the law became a human being. And so when we say, I want to be more like Jesus, what we're really saying is, I want to be more like the Old Testament. Say la. I'm just going to wait for a moment here because we're going to let these religious cows bleed out tonight. Because it has to make sense. How many of you say, you know what, I'm, I'm tired of following something that really doesn't make sense. I want something, I'm not looking, I, you know, I, but this is me, I wasn't looking for religion when I found this, right? I was looking for God. How many of you say, I'm looking for God here? And so we have to be willing in our journey to honestly look at some of the logic of the things that we believe. And, and perhaps I'm gonna suggest that we didn't do everything right in the New Testament. When we uh, broke ranks in, in Acts chapter 15, when they had a little bit of this, you know, what law do we carry and what don't we carry and what do we do and what don't we do? And they had this little council in Jerusalem about w- what of the law we were going to follow because the kingdom by this time had moved into the Gentile world. And so they were, you know, the Jews who were very orthodox and they were very rule oriented in, in, in a cultural way were encountering a Gentile world that had no culture of following these things. They perhaps had culture of following other stuff, right? You have all the different references to other gods and mythologies and all of these kind of things that were going on around the world. And the kingdom was spreading into these areas and everybody, like what you're feeling right now, really didn't want to give up the things that they thought religiously were indisputables. They don't want to get rid of their little God because they thought that little piece of wood got the rain to come. And so they wanted the rain to come and needed their little amulet in order to get that to happen. And we think that's silly, but we have the same stuff going on today. Human is human. And so we have to be aware that what God is going to be trying to do is he's kind of trying to get us to believe in what he believes in, right? And what God is trying to do has always been trying to do right from the, from in the beginning, God has been trying to create a culture where the blessing of God flows freely into that culture. He's never been trying to create a religion, Amen. even in the Old Testament. He refers to the Israelites as his family. They call it a religion. We kind of categorize things like that. If you go in the yellow pages, they say, you know, religious organizations. So they categorize stuff like that, but that was never God's intention. He's okay with it because it keeps the bills paid and it keeps the doors open and it keeps it going from generation to generation in the hopes that we will finally get it, that we'll finally be able to open the doors. And and what I believe as I'm searching, as all of you are searching, we have to be willing to deal with some of the basics that we understand that maybe are not God's intention. And this is one of those things, because I have heard many, many times that, for example, there's a scripture that says, uh, that the, the law has been fulfilled, that Jesus fulfilled the law in the sense that we don't pay attention to it anymore. 
Like that all is done, whatever those things were that they've all been taken care of. So there's nothing Malachi backwards that's even of any interest to you unless you just need some reading material. But there isn't anything that's currently applicable in a relevant way to your life. Now, how many of you are familiar enough with the nature of God to say that if God said it, it's relevant? It doesn't, not relevant in the 1900s and not in the millennium. It's not relevant in this dimension and not in the next dimension. It's not relevant on earth and not relevant in heaven or wherever the other billions of dimensions God's had been creating all of this time. No, what God says is relevant everywhere, always and forever. It's never going to get old. And so what we, what the, the, my rationale in talking about this, the reason I believe this is current is in our discussion about the blessing of Abraham, how many of you know we get introduced to that in a part of the Bible that we don't read anymore? How many say, well, that, jeepers, that's a little bit of a problem, yeah. right? And so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create a, a, re, a grafting in, in a sense, to this thousands of year old river that has been flowing all of this time. We're not looking to go dig our own river. What we're looking to do is join into a river. How many of you know, if you've, looked, if you, if you've read the book of Hebrews at all, that you see in Hebrews chapter seven, that it says, we who tithe today, join ourselves to the Levitical tithes that have been flowing from th that time. So the river that has been that has been carving its way out all the way back in time, when we become a tither, we jump in to that river. Or we can start our own little river over in the middle of nowhere and hoping that the trickle we get is gonna be good. How many of you prefer to join into the root system that has been growing for, a, for millenniums since people started this? Exactly the same thing when we take a look at the blessing of Abraham, which is a re-encountering re, uh, of the blessing of Noah, which is a re-encountering of the blessing of Adam. How many of you know Adam started the whole game? And so this blessing, this river, God's desire to create a culture that is human being filled with the word of God and only the word of God. That river has been flowing since the God first breathed into Adam's nostrils. When we're connecting backwards, we're connecting to something that's not centuries old. We're connecting back millennium. And so let's take a look. Open your Bibles then into uh, to Romans chapter 2. Again, I'm going to caution you to realize that Romans is a book that Paul wrote that's very chronological in the way that it talks about our encounter with the New Testament. And so it kind of is his way of organizing things in the way it will happen chronologically in our lives. So what goes on in the beginning, God, like chapter, Romans chapter one, God is real. That's an important part about our discovery of the New Testament. If you try to discover the New Testament without God is real, how many of you think, yeah, you might struggle in a few spots. And so the same thing happens now when we're dealing with Romans chapter 2 and Romans chapter 3. Those are chronologically very important places. And Paul, as you may also know, was trained up in the law. As a matter of fact, he was in training to be one of the leaders, uh, the significant religious leaders that were in that day. And so his understanding of the New Testament was really even in, to, to, in today's standards, his understanding of the New Testament would have been profound. 
And so we're able to glean from him a lot of the value that he saw in making sure that we navigated this road correctly when he, coming out of the roots of Judaism, not just roots like I'm part of the culture, but roots as in I'm one of the leaders in that culture, and then in the middle of that Damascus Road experience that he has, God is now sending him to the Gentiles. And so he's got this huge job of figuring out how do we understand the nature of God's relationship with humankind when there are these radical, these two radically distinct groups of people who are both going to be trying to understand one singular principle. And so this is what Paul is wrestling with now as we're handling Romans chapter two and Romans chapter three, okay? So look, are you in your Bibles? Because it's gonna be really good for you, uh, good students, to see this in your own Bible. Okay, verse 11 says, for there is no respect of persons with God. What that means is God does not care who accesses the blessing, this blessing culture. Now, that might have been a little strange for somebody like Paul to say, because Paul would have said, no, this blessing is reserved for the children of Abraham. But it's not long before we hear him tell us that it's not the blessing that is passed down genetically, uh, as an inheritance by the, by, the, by the human side, as in with all of Abraham's seeds, he said, no, that blessing is accessed to the seed, singular, which is Christ. And so he's then referencing, as we, and I don't want to go too deep into this, but he's referencing the fact that Abraham got the blessing not because he followed the rules, he got the blessing because he obeyed God, believed God, Romans we'll see in a moment, and then because he believed God, he obeyed the rules. He did what God told him to do. You know, leave this place, go to that place, sacrifice your son, go, you know, da, da, da. All those things that he did, he didn't do them because he felt a law, uh, or a, a, a compulsion to do it. He did it because he believed. And so this is what Paul is going to try to get us to grasp as he joins together these two groups of people that he's going to refer to either as the circumcision and the uncircumcision, or he will say the Jews and the Gentiles. And so he's referencing things which we're going to find out are going to be a little important for us because he's actually meaning a distinction. He's not saying Jew equals circumcision, but he's, he's using those terms because he wants to draw a distinction. Okay, for as many as have sinned without law shall perish, shall perish also without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. That, what that's referencing is that when you know that it's wrong to do something, there is a greater judgment on you when you know that it's wrong. For, so this is 13 now. For not the hearers of the law are just before God but rather the doers shall be justified. Now we gotta take a moment with this word justified. Because sometimes, how many of you went to the class that said it's, it justified means it's just as if I'd never sinned? How many of you went to that class? That's not what justified means, okay? The word itself, the root word means to be presented on the outside as who you are on the inside. So if I introduced my, uh, Tina to you, I would introduce her publicly as my wife 
or the mother of my children or the love of my life. I would give her some kind of a title presenting her to you on the outside as who she is on the inside. That's what that word is referring to. So this is saying those people who are justified, who have the blessing of God visible on the outside of their life, they're not, they're not, they're not the people who are the hearers of the blessing or the, or the law, the instruction. They are the people who are the doers of what it is that they heard. Okay, and that's not changing. For when the Gentiles, which who have not the law, sorry, I've got a, a weird translation here. For the Gentiles who don't have the law do by nature the things contained in the law. And what that means is, is that you may be a nice person. And by being a nice person, because your parents you know, raised you right, then you're doing certain things that are going to be, even though you didn't even know it, you are going to relate to people around you in a certain way that is going to be in alignment with the law, even though you've never heard the law. That person is going to get, as you see here, uh, when the Gentiles who don't have the law do by nature, because they're good people or because they're raised right or whatever, the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. So they have adopted these things, these principles as law to them. That's why they are good people. Now, listen to this now, verse 15, which these people now, these ones who are doing the law, even though they don't even know it's a law, these people which show the works of the law written on their hearts. That it didn't come from the law. It might have come from Anthony Robbins. We don't know where it came from, but they're doing the right thing. They, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. So that's important because what's happening is I'm doing the right thing. I'm not doing it because my mommy told me to do it. That might've been where it started, but now I believe in being a good person. I believe in being kind. I believe in picking up my own garbage. I believe in all of these. So now I'm doing it and it's bearing witness with my conscience as the right thing to do. That's very important. I'm doing what's right, but it's not because I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to do it because I just believe that's the right thing to do. Does that make sense? I'm not obeying a rule that I don't agree with. Then it goes on to say, and their thoughts even, all the meanwhile, are accusing or excusing, better say it, are, are judging or being merciful with one another. And so out of that, right or wrong, that they have got somehow in their heart, they are using that right or wrong to be able to judge or be merciful in the situations that they find themselves. The key point here is to say that the blessing of God is aligned to believing something and then out of that believing thing, I am acting out of that believing. It doesn't even matter to God that what you did that was in alignment with his cultural blessing way didn't even come from him. It might've just come because you're an awesome person. That still is something God is very interested in because he isn't interested in creating a religion. He's interested in creating a culture of blessing that goes around the whole world and fills the heart of every single person so that his creation finally starts working to the potential that it's supposed to be working, which is to produce a blessing in the lives of mankind. Does that make some sense? 
Okay, so now further down in Romans chapter 2, verse 25, he's going to, Paul is now going to introduce this word circumcision. Now, you have to, we're not going to go here today. We can if you'd like. But the concept of Jew is more of a national identity that shows you as a, um, a descendant of a particular person, Abraham down through his son, da, 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 da. The term circumcision is talking about your relationship to the covenant that you have with Almighty God. Okay, so there would be this, this, this ceremony that would happen in the Jewish boy's life where he would be connected to the covenant and the mechanism of that was through, now the mark of that, if you will, is through this thing called circumcision. So when you read the term circumcision, in the New Testament, it's talking about, yes, in the family of God, but yes, in covenant with God. Now, the blessing of God, the blessing of Abraham, is all about this small season that you'll see in Genesis 12 to 21. That's the whole time, I don't know exactly where it is. But that time when God is cutting a covenant by himself with this person, Abraham. Remember, he, cut, he put him to sleep, remember that? cut the calves and did all that kind of stuff and they walked together through that. That's a covenant experience that's going on where God is swearing by himself, by his own existence. He swears to Abraham that I will be your covenant partner. Circumcision now was the mark of that. So let's read it sort of in that, grab onto that context. For this, this is, now this is the, I have to keep clarifying it. This is the New Testament. This is the book of Romans, chapter two. And it says this, for circumcision is indeed profitable. Again, we have to take a little Selah moment there. Because we would say that stuff is all bad. You know, it's silly. You know, it's all Old, old Testament. It's all gone away. It says, for circumcision is indeed profitable, comma, if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision, help me now, this is just, you know, be careful here. Your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So what is that talking about? So he's talking about a covenant that when I make a covenant, let's say I make a covenant with Tina, when we got married, we made a covenant and that covenant had some boundaries and it had some rules. How many of you know there's rules in that covenant? Girls, are we all okay with that? When I made that covenant, that covenant depends on my faithful following of the, of the promises that I made to her. How yeah. I many you say, yeah, that's true. You can tell it's true because I don't have a frying pan sitting on the back of my head. <laughs> and so what we have adopted in the New Testament is we said we have a covenant whether we follow the rules or not. We're going to cover some of that material. Following the rules has nothing to do with whether, I'm in, whether I get the covenant blessings of God in my life. I, I already have them all. Right. You do have them all. From God's perspective, he never broke the covenant he had with, with, with uh, Israel. Right. But how many of you go to a couple pages in your Old Testament when it looks like, you know, God left those guys? Yeah, yeah we have famine. We have terrible stuff going on to this nation that looks like God broke the covenant. God didn't break the covenant. The people broke the covenant. And when you break the covenant, it's, uh, I'm sorry for saying, telling you, because it's maybe not great news. This is the real inconvenient truth right here. 
your circumcision has become uncircumcision. When you know the right thing, we've got you and God shook hands and you said, I want the covenant. I want the blessing flowing in my life. I'm shaking hands with you. And now that I'm shaking hands, I know what I need to do. You know what you need to do. Let's get at it. And then you sneak off and don't do what you said, thinking God didn't notice, but Malachi's straightening out there, right? He notices, he know, and it's not that God's trying to judge you. He's not trying to judge you. He's trying to create a culture of blessing. But what we do when we break the rules, we disconnect yeah. right, right. from the covenant of blessing in our lives. If, therefore, the 26, therefore, now, understand, this is the New Testament, and we're talking about principles and words that are more relatable to the Jewish way of culture than to the New Testament Christian way of culture. Because we're talking about all these terms, but this is, again, in the New Testament. If, therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law. So this is now a Gentile who does not have a covenant with God, never went through the ceremony, never got zippity doo and they don't, have a company, they don't have a covenant with God, but they follow the laws. Everybody in their church is gonna call them stupid. No, that's not what that says. It says, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? What's that saying? Then this guy who doesn't even know about God follows the rules that were given to the covenant guy who didn't follow them, given to somebody who didn't even know he was supposed to follow them, but did. And even though he didn't have all the marks in his flesh and the ceremony, that person is going to be counted as if he has a covenant with Almighty God. That's telling us Again, that God is interested. He's searching to and fro anywhere he can. What matters is that you did what he said, not out of a law. I'm being perhaps a bit indelicate. I'll be fair to myself. I'm being grossly indelicate. But that we focused on this stuff, right? We have made that the issue there's Jews and there's Gentiles and there's in people and out people and OT people, new T people, all this. This is not important to God. That's what we have to get in all this. What's important to God is that he said something and he's looking around the whole world to see if anybody, even though they don't know he the one who said it, but they're doing it. They're doing it. They align themselves to creation. Creation blesses them, period. Get away from the pride that says, I'm in, because I got circumcised or prayed a prayer one day or belonged to a church, even the greatest church in the galaxy, that's not what gets you into the blessing, is what I'm trying to get you to understand. Your access to the blessing, Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, it's going to come because you, like Abraham, who was neither Jew nor circumcised, who never, neither had the law nor the New Testament, he was just a guy who decided, I'm going to believe what God says, and I'm going to act out of that thing that I believe. Simple. We have made this remarkably complex by having to divide and conquer because of our religious backgrounds. 
going back thousands, perhaps millenniums backwards. Okay, so that person now, the uncircumcised person, keeps the law, which then he gets the blessing of the law. The, the objective here is to say he kept the law, which perhaps your doctrine says that would be a dumb thing to do. Instead of realizing, no, there's a lot of power in 66% of your Bible. I'm tripling, or I'm, excuse me, you have one part, you're getting three parts. I'm tripling the, the amount you can get from God by just talking about this. We're going to get to go back to the cool stuff, maybe not follow the law, particularly the Leviticus stuff, because we're not going to be sacrificing nothing in here. But we're going to get the lessons. We're going we're to perhaps see some metaphors in people's lives, in the actions that God is asking people to do. The, the, the imagery is not just imagery to be kooky. The imagery is there because God is trying to teach through the imagery. There's a, there's a moral of the story. Yes, what we're going to be able to do is, in the miracle of the New Testament, we can go into the instruction, go back to the, New the Old Testament. We're not bound to do it as though God is judging me. He's not judging me. But I know if I can get some truth, I'm, how many say I'm after it? If there's some in there, I'm going after it. Yes, I don't want to live with only one third of what I can get from God. And verse 27, and will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, this is, this is uh, you know, heavens. If he fulfills the law, will he not judge you, even your written code, the law, and circumcision, if you are a transgressor of that law? So this is, this is the, you know, re, what, help me, Lord that those of us who know the right thing to do because we know God said it. You know, in, in, uh, in Kings, it's, Elijah says this, you know, why do you falter between two opinions? If God be God, follow him. Done, end of sentence. Could have stopped the Bible right there. If God is God, follow him. What we've done is this stuff has become so complex for us, we're not understanding the relationship with now that we know what to do, all we have to do is do it. Yeah. All we have to do is act out of it, not because I'm being told, not because Pastor Ian's gonna like you more or less, I'm not. I, uh, I'm doing it because I want my life to be contributing into this culture of blessing that God has been trying to produce in this earth from the very beginning of time. <clears throat> For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is the circumcision that which is done outwardly in the flesh. Okay, now we're going to get to some meat. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So what's that saying? That's saying that the New Testament person is still a real Jew. Okay, again, not, I, I don't need you to move to Israel unless that's what God wants you to do. What that's saying is of the real Jew is a person who has a covenant with Almighty God and who follows the instructions that come with that covenant. That makes you a Jew like it was supposed to make all the Jews Jews. Yeah. And then they decided to make all of it into a religion and it became a bit of a mess. But in God's eyes, 
the Jew is still a Jew who is one inwardly, not somebody who is circumcised in the flesh, but rather somebody who's circumcised in the heart. That means I have a covenant. I know about my covenant with Almighty God. And out of that covenant, recognize my place of the agreement that I am going to live for him, that I am going to obey him. I'm going to let him be the boss. I'm going to let him lead. I'm going to follow the stuff that I know to do. I'm going to do it. That's what my agreement is. Not because I've got a signed contract somewhere, because I go to a particular church or whatever, but because inside of me is already the decision that I am going to live this way without any duress without any requirement on me to do so i'm doing it because i know that it's the right thing to do because it's who i want to be as a person so uncircumcised is following the requirements of the law even if you do so because anthony robbins said so it gives you access now the believing the law it, 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 it now we're just looking specifically at the old testament is when we see something back there and we have the ability to believe it and then act out of it. Now what we're doing is we are accessing the blessing. Now, now I should perhaps say, this is not because I am trying to turn us into a Jewish synagogue. Please don't hear us that we're gonna go, we're gonna go and you know, I'm gonna go get me an ephod. I'm not doing that. What I'm trying to get us to do is attach to the wisdom and truth that is hidden inside the metaphors from, from uh, Genesis all the way to Malachi. I want to unlock all that stuff because my heart is recognizing that's just as much for me as it was for the me that lived in the Old Testament. Except now I have the ability to access it in a level that is actually meaningful to me because I can believe it. I can take out a belief that isn't right or isn't in alignment with God, replace it with one that is, act out of that belief system, and all of a sudden, boom, creation and me are now Zahalu and things are starting to work right. The bottom line, Jew or Gentile is not the issue. Following the instructions of the heart that believes in them is the issue. Truth is truth. It isn't dependent on what religious affiliation you belong to. That statement in itself is going to get me in a ridiculous amount of trouble. Because again, I'm, I'm looking for truth. I, doesn't, I don't want to be hindered. I don't want to teach you things that are just going to propagate things that aren't the kingdom in this millennium. We have to deal with this stuff. The Jew is as much my brother as you are. Even if the person doesn't believe yet, they're still my brother. Does that make some sense? There's, we don't have to be excluding people. Christians by nature can be very nasty people, self-righteous Christians, very nasty people. They're not doing the law. The law is about loving others. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. God wants to create a culture of blessing that circles the globe. Creation was designed by a specific order. That means if you put water in your gas tank, it's not going to work. That's because your car, unless you have a hydrogen car, does not work by water. It works by gasoline. 
Creation works according to a specific order. God wrote the entire Bible. Every bit of communication he's ever had with humankind has always been to explain to humankind how that order works. Everything is valuable to us because it's part of the, maybe we could say it's the owner's manual. God built creation, gave us the owner's manual to say, this is how it works if you want it to work for you. If you want the first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28 rather than the rest of it operating in your life, you have to do it right. Okay, again, go to the car example. There are 650 different things you can put in your gas tank that will make your car not work. There is one thing you can put in that gas tank that will make it work. Did you see that? That's what God is saying. We can figure out all that we can in the natural about the way we think everything works. You can have a thousand different people have a thousand different concepts and they can all be wrong if they don't align themselves with the guy who wrote the book, the manual that describes how creation works. And so in us embracing the Old Testament, not in the following of the laws in that sense, just because we do them, we're, you know, we're going to make a, a, another religion. That's what we need on the earth today is another religion. That's not what we're doing. We're trying to get the truth out of it. Okay. So what about grace? Because that's probably the question of you the- theological people. Where does grace come into it if I don't get the blessing because of my disobedience or my non-alignment to God's ways, why doesn't grace just make it work regardless of that? And I know we've all been taught that even though we do everything wrong, we're still going to get the blessing of God happening in our lives. And I need to be fairly blunt. It does not work that way. Yes, you have all of that in your bank account. But if you want to get it out of your bank account, you can't just hope it comes out. You can't just go there and, you know, put a clown face on and walk in and do a dance and expect they're going to give you the money out of your bank account. In order to get the money out of your bank account, how many of you know there's a very precise way that you do that? If you do it wrong, if you put your card into the machine and you get one of your PIN numbers wrong, how much of your money do you get now? Okay, this is how this works. Grace isn't the power to do things wrong. It isn't that. Grace is the power to do things right. Because doing things right out of a belief system that's right is what gets it to work. Okay, I lost a whole bunch of you there too. Okay, verse, Romans 3 and verse 5. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? God forbid. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie, so then I'm, a, I'm embracing my lie, still doing things wrong, 
is it better for God that I stay in my wrong because it shows everybody else that even though I'm a knucklehead, God loves me anyways. That's kind of what this is saying in Ian's translation. That is not true. We do not have to sin more to show how much more God will forgive so that other people can realize they can be forgiven too. That was not God's intention. The grace part, remember, even though this grace principle exists, the, the New Testament believing equals manifestation. In order for manifestation to happen, you must believe what God said. Somebody, sorry, somebody has to believe what God said in order for it to happen. Remember when the guy, they slipped into the roof, through the roof, you know, it's their faith that got this guy made whole, right? So there's a, there could be cross-pollinating of faith, which is part of what we do as a family when we have, you know, strong, you know, I'm strong today and you're weak today, so I can pray for you. Come back tomorrow, I'll be weak and you'll be strong, you pray for me. We can cross-pollinate our faith. We can cross-pollinate what we believe. In order for the manifestation to happen, we have to believe. Grace is the power to believe. If you remember, if you flip over in your Bible to Mark chapter four, is that how much time I have left? In Mark chapter four, it talks about how do we go from not believing the truth to believing the truth. <clears throat> Actually, go to Mark chapter four, open it up in your Bible. Verse 10, but when he was alone, those the alone, those Jesus now, when, when Jesus was alone, those around Jesus with the 12 asked him about the parable, parable. And he said unto them, to you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those that are without, all things are spoken in parables so that seeing they may not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they will turn and their sins will be forgiven them. In Luke chapter eight, it says, lest they should believe and be saved. Matthew 13 says, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. So the healing, saving, forgiving component here comes with an impossible situation that he is saying human beings have. And that is that seeing we cannot perceive, hearing we cannot understand. If we do get to see and perceive, hear and understand, that's grace in action. Um, okay. Not getting a lot of amens in the room tonight, so. Okay. Jesus died for your sins. When did you get the benefit of that? When you what? When you believe. Jesus died for your sins 2,000 years ago. You didn't get the blessing of that until you could first see it, perceive it, hear it, understand it, believe it, so that it saved you, right? That's what he's talking about here. If you think that this whole religion thing is for the birds and you've had enough of this God concept and all of these people trying to get you into that game and you've despised it all of your life and then one day you open up your eyes and wake up in the morning and you think to yourself, you know what I need to do today? 
I need to go to Light City Church. And you think, gosh, I am the smartest thing since sliced bread to think of that. No, that wasn't you. That's the grace of God getting you to perceive something that you could not perceive. It opened the door to your ability to understand that there was even an option to go through that door. John says it like this, that, way, that born again means that you have seen the kingdom, perceived the kingdom. Now, there's a journey before you even enter the kingdom from that point, as this is what we're referring to here. There's a process between you seeing and, he- and understanding, hearing and perceiving, or the other way around. But that's happening by grace. Then the ability to understand a language that you don't speak. We speak selfishness. God speaks love. He speaks faith. We speak fear. He speaks hope. We speak dread. All of a sudden, we have this miraculous ability to understand Mandarin when we speak English. And we think, wow, aren't I awesome? I've got one of those awesome memories like Mike on suits. (laughs) No, that's grace. Empowering you to, to understand a language that you could not understand. And then all of a sudden, this whole, you know, the, the, the whole hell breaks loose in your life. Tribulation, affliction, persecution, what's the last one? Tribu- uh, temptation, all comes flying at you in this process that Jesus is describing to us. And you think, I think I'm awesome because I made it through the journey. I persevered. Dude, I saw you yesterday. That's not you. That's the grace of God operating in your life that empowered you in the midst of the storm to be able to still see the way that you're going. And then the ability to actually get a revelation. Like, not like I get it. Yeah, the light bulb goes. Yeah, it's got to start with the light bulb going on. But it's different. It's different when it becomes revelation to you. This is the knowing that you know that you know. Not the knowing like somebody taught it to me yesterday. It's different. That ability for that truth to be networked into your soul, the infrastructure is all connected. That wasn't you. You might have done a couple of things, you know, took Joy's meditation class, helped her out a little bit. But the actual plugging in of all of these bits and pieces into your soul so that it has become part of your DNA, can I tell you something? That happens by grace. God is doing that. And we need to understand that, that grace is not the ability to stay in our old way and still be blessed even though we know to do what's right and don't do it. The kingdom is infected with this reality. Thinking, sitting in church pews all over the world, thinking that the blessing of God is gonna come into their lives even though they're not doing anything with what they're learning. When Romans chapter two and three, the beginning processes should be us ironing all this stuff out. Better you don't learn than you learn and don't do. Mm, That's the way to empty a church out fast, eh? Right there. But see, we're not those people. I'm not looking to learn and not do. I'm not looking to learn because there's some rule or regulation. I'm not looking to learn because it's going to get me to heaven or not. I already, I already know how I'm going to get to heaven. <clears throat> Price has already been paid. That's how I'm getting in. I'm not worried about it. I want to live 
with the manifestation of the blessing of God in my life here. So my life here looks like Jesus' life here. So my life can have at least a dint of, 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 of meaning in the history of mankind as it's used by God to do something to further the purposes of it's anybody in here that is interested in the kingdom of God like I am. So number one, grace to understand. Number two, grace to persevere. Number three, grace for revelation. Grace is a mechanism that offers mercy and forgiveness. Focus with me now. As we stumble forward through this process, God does not mind if we stumble and do it wrong as we are trying to do it right. Just like when you raise your children, they don't need to get it right, but they need to try. Isn't that true? They need to do, if, you know, if my son Alex, I still had to cut his meat up and chew it and spit it into his mouth, you know, something wrong with my parenting, wouldn't you say that? If he still can't get the peas off the plate into his mouth, he's not super good at that right now, but <laughs> that's the problem with the parenting, isn't it? It's not his fault. It's parenting problem. God's not got a parenting problem. Can I tell you that? Yes, he's not suffering. He doesn't need to take your class on how to be a good parent. He's got that one. And what he's wanting to do is as he's releasing grace to us, certainly he's okay if we get it wrong but he's trying to help us. The reason he's forgiving us and being merciful to us as we get it wrong is because he knows if we just keep trying, eventually we're gonna get it right. The power to do what I cannot do by myself. So grace is making up the difference. This mercy and power keeps me safe as I navigate all the process of going from deception to truth. There is a lot of stuff in there. Grace is going to keep me above, my head above water. I'll be safe and sound. It may not look it all the time. It may not feel like it all the time. It may not be in my expectant all the time. But God is keeping me safe through this whole process because he wants me not to know what it feels like to have a nose plant on the concrete. He wants me to know what it feels like to have the blessing of God flowing in my life so I can explain it to somebody else. Number three, grace part. Grace is the transformative authority to change what I believe. Belief systems come with angelic hosts, good guys or bad guys. So when we choose in our foolishness to, or in, even, even in our naivete or whatever, we're just submitting to the wrong leaders, whatever we're doing, when we accept a belief system that is in fact a lie, the strong man that comes along with that belief system, that angelic host actually has, has proximity to us. I'm not quite sure how that works in the spirit realm, but there's a proximity issue there. And, it, and um, the, uh, Romans says that in six, it says, sin has no dominion which means there was a time when sin had dominion. Does that make sense? Dominion, that word dominion is talking about, it is my master, it's my Lord, it's my ruler, it's the boss. What that's referring to is that when I am in this season of believing a deception, the sin that is created, and sin, the, the mistakes that I make 
because of that belief system, which the, the Bible talks about when it uses the word sin, it's a mistake that I make because of a deception. Because I understand things wrong, I'm gonna do things wrong. That process is guarded by a spiritual being. As we are changing the dominion setup so that now I'm moving from a deception to a truth, that demonic force is trying to keep me in there. They're whispering backwards into my mind. They're, they're making me feel feelings that are connected to my old way of thinking, even though I'm well along in my new way of thinking. Grace is the supernatural authority that has been given back to you to deal with, in an authoritative way, that demonic influence. That being, if I spit in your face and that demon says to spit back, you now have the authority to say no. Not just no, but no and get the heck out of here, okay? That is grace. There is a supernatural power, because you have to understand, uh, I mean, if you've, uh, if you've ever talked to Blake Healy and the guys that can see, Pastor Alex, these guys that can actually see angels, these suckers is big dudes. They got weapons. They know how to fight. So if that's what the good guys look like, don't be, don't be naive to think the bad guys don't look like that. They're the same being, if you remember from the Old Testament, again, now that we're visiting back there, that these are the same design of species. And when we are doing business with them as mere men who don't yet believe the thing that God is trying to get us to believe, which will give us the authority on our onesie. I have it now because I believe it. In order to get the change to happen, you have to have an authority given to you to deal with that demonic force, deal with that lie, deal with all the tentacles of that lie as it has filled your whole soul. You have to have the authority to deal with that when you don't have the authority in your own right. Does that make sense, everybody? That happens by grace. God gives you that by the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have that ability. And using that, if you've ever, if you've ever used it, you know, I got that thing. Because when you say, get out of here to that devil who's trying to get you to shoot your neighbor, and he, all of a sudden you don't feel like shooting your neighbor anymore, now you want to go cut your grass. The reason to cut his grass, you know why that happens? Because that thing obeyed you, and it left. And I don't mean that it's not going to come back and see if it can get back in again. And you just use the same thing you used last time, and you burn his butt and send him going again. Okay? Luke chapter 11 says, when you cast out demons... That's evidence that the kingdom has come. That process right there, the grace that is released to you is an evidence that the kingdom has come. When we are able now to deal in that level of an authority, even though we're chumps, even though we're new at this, even though uh, if the devil knew, I'm shaking in my boots, but I'm still talking like that and he's obeying it's obeying. I don't know if it's a he or she. Understanding our relationship now to the Old Testament. We'll do that next time. Okay. Of course, there won't be a next time because I already have notes for next time. 
here's what's important. As we open up, because the reason I'm, I'm teaching you this right now, well, made a mess. The reason that I'm covering this right now is because I want to open up something in our understanding that is time critical for us this year. Um, as Christians, we probably think that Passover is one of the main feasts, the main celebration times for the Jewish people. It is a very important time for them. I'm not disputing that. What we don't realize, because we don't kind of do this, is that in fact, right now is a very important time in the Jewish calendar. The, the main feasts of the Jewish calendar are, we are in them right now. Now I know, and you know from this teaching, that the feast itself is not the important part to us. Do it if you want, but that's not the important part. What's important is that there is a mission critical understanding of the metaphors that are inside of those feasts, those occasions that happen. So we're going to go right now, we are in a season that's referred to as Teshuva. Teshuva is the, the, help me, 40 days, am I correct with 40 days? Is the 40 days prior to Rosh Hashanah, which is their new year uh, uh, cutoff. So whatever year this is, I'm not quite sure what year it is, but whatever year we are standing in right now, when it comes to the, I believe it's the 9th, am I correct with the 9th of September, September the 9th, between six o'clock and September the 9th and, and, and six o'clock the 10th is Rosh Hashanah, which is their, their New Year's. Teshuva is in, because of what God's instructing them to do, it is the time when we close off the old year. We make sure everything is paid. All our debts are paid. Everything is closed out. You then go into the Rosh Hashanah time, which is now the new year preparing, and you go for seven, seven, am I right with seven days till Yom Kippur? Help me, am I right? Seven days. From there to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is 10 days. 10 days. I'm going to, Gabe, help me here. 10 days, okay. So that's the 10 days of awe that goes on between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. That is a season now, it's almost like a parenthesis in the new year experience as we make sure one, Teshuva, everything from last year, all the junk is all taken care of. I'm not bringing any of that junk into the new year. Then number two, in the days of awe, you are preparing for what you're expecting this next 12 months to be about. Then Yom Kippur is the day of atonement, which we have, by the way, the person has, the day has become a person. Right? So that is a celebratory time when we don't pay for the sins that are, that are in the past year. We already have payment for that, but we do make sure that we have nothing left. All we have going into the day after Yom Kippur is I have an, a list of expectations of what God is saying this upcoming year is going to be about. And there is nothing in my past that is coming forward that's going to hinder those things from from happening. Once we get past Yom Kippur, we have a couple of days of break there, maybe you know to feed the dog, and then we go into what's referred to as tabernacles, Sukkot, um, uh, weeks or booths, all these, they're all referring to the same feast. 
what you do in this feast is that you go and you build a booth in your backyard, a booth that has walls, but no roof. And you don't live in your house anymore for that, that time. You live in the booth. And so again, I'm not encouraging you necessarily, unless you would really like to. It's maybe a, getting a bit cold in our September by now, so be warned. But that's not the important part. The important part is that the imagery of what I'm doing is I am building a wall around me, which is limiting my lateral relationships. I'm quietening down my world. And, what, and then what am I doing? I got no roof. Anybody guess what that's all about? Right? I am opening a, a clearer channel between me and God for that season. Okay? Now, can anybody see in the metaphors of what those feasts are all about, as I clean myself up, make sure my, my accounts are clean from past year, I prepare my expectation, I'm listening to God, hearing what he's talking about for me for the coming 12 months, then I am laying my seed down, I am making sure that I've got everything closed, and then I am spending time quietening down things around me so that I could hear clearly about the marching orders. I'm making sure that there's a roto-rooter between me and heaven, cleaning all that stuff out, so that now, as I am heading now into the 11 months that are actually this calendar year from a, 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 a Jewish calendar, I am set in my expectation there's nothing contaminating my journey. Does that make sense? Now you can see that whether we focus on the feast itself or what you call it, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, whatever, tabernacles, that we can glean from that an enormous amount of process that God is trying to bring us into as we open up our hearts to something that God has been having a group of people do for thousands of years. As they are setting those things in motion every year, they're wiping it clean, setting a new expectation, opening up the relationship with God, making the commitments that need to be made, doing it right where I did it wrong last year. All of these things that are set in motion now, and all of a sudden you can see, even in that simple metaphor of that process, how you can have a nation, the nation of Israel, who has gone through the worst of things for any nation imaginable, how they keep ending up on top. I was saying to uh, Roxanne and I were talking before service today, wherever she is. Hey, camera. Yes. Hi, Rox. How are you? You know, there's not a newspaper printed on the planet that somewhere in that newspaper, there isn't something about the nation of Israel. This little tiny sliver of land with a relatively few people in it and they have this extraordinary status as a nation. After some of the worst things that could ever happen to a human being happening in the last hundred years, and yet they own the island of Manhattan. Don't think it's a surprise that this process that they go through every year in the doings of the things inside the feasts, that this nation cannot be held down. That they end up on the top of the pile 
millennium after millennium after millennium. As we, as Christians, draw ourselves into the roots from which we have come, we glean this wisdom so that as we go, like the nation of Israel right now, as they're going through this very process as a nation, and their, their rabbis are talking to them about very similar principles that are unfolding year after year after year, that we get to participate in that, even perhaps in a greater way, because we're able to understand this is powerful stuff. This is accessing the blessing in our lives. If I'll just do the do's based on the knowledge that this is the right thing and I believe it. And all of a sudden, what would have been perhaps a year coming that looked like the year passing, my whole life has been changed because I have set myself into this order. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes. Put your hand over your heart and say, Lord, I'm understanding. There is a lot of treasure for me in the Old Testament. I know whenever you talk, whatever you thought ought to be written down. I know there's treasure in it. There's gold in it. There's blessing in it. Holy Spirit, empower me to glean the truth from within the instruction, to gain the understanding from within the stories. Help me to see the wisdom of Proverbs. Help me to understand the praises of the Psalms. Help me to know the lessons that were taught through the lives of people that came in the Old Testament. I'm looking for truth anywhere I can find it because I know that you, like wisdom, are standing on the street corner shouting to the world because you know it's through the truth, it's through the wisdom that I can access the blessing that has been laid up in creation since it was created. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.